0: Today, we're bringing you special coverage on the life and legacy of Indiana's longest serving senator, United States Senator Richard Lugar. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, WFIU General Manager Perry Metz is co-hosting with me today. Senator Lugar died yesterday at age 87. He's being remembered as a giant in politics and government in the city of Indianapolis, the state of Indiana, and even more importantly, in the nation and the world. He served 36 years in the U.S. Senate, Focusing primarily on foreign policy and national security, he commanded respect on both sides of the aisle. Throughout today's program, we'll hear from people who worked with Senator Luger, many of whom credit their careers to the senator. In the studio today, we have Lee Hamilton, the former 9th District Congressman. Though Hamilton was a Democrat and Luger a Republican, the two were close colleagues and close friends, and their names now grace the name of Indiana University's Hamilton Luger School of Global and International Studies. Also in the studio is Margie Hershey, who recently retired after four decades nearly four decades as an Indiana University political science professor. And joining us in the second half of the program. Will be Teresa Lubbers, the current Indiana Higher Education Commissioner, who was a member of Luger's staff when he was mayor of Indianapolis and is co founder of the Luger Excellence in Public Service series. We will hear recorded comments from others during the show, and we will be taking your questions and comments as well. The numbers are 812 855 0811 in Bloomington or 1 877 285 8348 from anywhere outside of the Bloomington area and news at indianapublicmedia.org, or tweet us at Noon Edition. So, Congressman Hamilton, thank you for being here with us today. I know uh, you and, and um, Senator Luger were together recently for the America's Role in the World Conference just a couple of weeks ago at IU at the, the school that's named after both of you. You're a Democrat. Senator Luger is a Republican. Could you talk about your relationship, please? Uh,
1: Dick was an extraordinary leader. I think the world and the state is, uh, are better places because of his role. Uh, several things about him stood out to me. He was a person of high intelligence and impeccable integrity. He was deeply rooted in Indiana. Family history goes back a long ways. But in many ways, he reflected the values and the interest of Hoosiers, and he took being a Hoosier very seriously, whether he was in Indianapolis or Geneva, Switzerland. Uh, he was proud of being a Hoosier. Uh, I found him to be to treat all people, whether in the White House or in Scott County with the tomato growers or gay with the steel workers. He treated everyone with respect and dignity. He was always very constructive. He wanted to find a solution to the problem. And to me, this may sound a little strange, he was far more interested in policy than he was in politics. And uh, he would seem to me to put politics aside and focus on the merits of the policy question, Uh, always bipartisan in his approach. So this was a very close association over almost seven decades. I counted a high privilege to to have been his friend and associate during that period.
0: How often did you actually vote the same?
1: On foreign policy, almost always the same. I cannot remember a substantive difference I had with Dick on foreign policy questions. On domestic questions, which we really didn't address much because neither one of us were that heavily involved in them, uh, I'm sure there were differences, he a Republican and me a Democrat. But on the issues that we discussed, uh, we were like-minded. Both of us internationalists, both of us believed in a very strong role for America in the world. We believed in American leadership and that the world is a better place because of American leadership. So day after day, conference committee after conference committee, forum after forum, Uh, Dick and I would join hands as
2: partners and allies. Mm -hmm. Professor Hershey, uh, other than bipartisanship, for what should we remember, Senator Lugar?
3: He made significant contributions in a number of fields. I think probably the most important one had to do with nuclear disarmament. After the Soviet Union began to implode in the 1980s, we know that the Soviets had literally thousands of nuclear warheads, many of them placed in the former Soviet republics, which were now going to become at least somewhat independent. The chances of those nuclear warheads finding their way into terrorist groups were extremely high um Senator Luger got together with Democratic Senator Sam Nunn and characteristically the program that resulted was called Nunn-Luger rather than Luger-Nunn and they worked out a program by which i think by now over 7500 nuclear warheads <coughs> excuse me have been either um, eliminated or locked down to the point where they are now safe from raining down on Bloomington and and other places in the United States. I think that, uh, in addition, They managed to employ a large number of the nuclear scientists who were working on these programs over time and whose expertise, once they no longer had paychecks from the old Soviet Union, would have been sold to various other high bidders around the world. Um, This has made the world immeasurably safer, and we really have a lot to thank him for. Mm-hmm.
0: So I, I know uh, we just spoke with with Lee Hamilton, who talked about his relationship with with Senator Luger and, and some of the great things about the senator. We have a clip from Senator Luger from his recent uh, time here, and we're gonna we're gonna play that now.
1: As uh, Lee and I have toured Hoosier communities over the years, and we found situations in which there was not very good governance, whether it was at the local level or mayors of cities or various other things. And you ask, where are the talented people in this city or this county? Well, they were practicing law. They were running businesses. And so my, my thought is, from the very beginning, I'm hopeful a large number of students will be thinking about the possibilities at some point in their lives of public service. Now, it may not be elective office. It could be any, a number of ways in which they serve human beings. But there's nothing more satisfying any more important in terms of a life well lived in my judgment
0: so lee hamilton that 's your your friend senator Luger and and I know you have very similar thoughts about public service
1: well, he was an extraordinary model of, of public service, and I think who's used and people across the nation will recognize that and look to him as a model public servant for years to come. Uh, I uh, uh, was always impressed with uh, Dick's interest in students, as uh, as was expressed in that excerpt. He genuinely was interested in bringing young people into the public policy process. He had a lot of seminars with them. He always had time for them and uh, created a number of opportunities for them. It was one of the
2: distinctive features of his career. Mm-hmm. I once asked Senator Luger if uh, someone like him could succeed in politics today. Uh-huh. He was uh, uh, relatively optimistic. What's, what's your feeling?
1: I think the answer is yes. I believe at the end of the day, the American people recognize integrity, seriousness, and commitment. Uh, not always, uh, most of the time. But if you had a person with Dick's qualifications come along today, eventually they would succeed and come forward. Uh, I'm reasonably optimistic about that.
0: All right. If you have a question or a comment for us today, give us a call at 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington calling area. News at org is a way to reach us, and you can also tweet us at noon edition this is a special edition of noon edition today margie
3: i think one thing to add to representative hamilton's comments which i've i've so appreciated hearing is that um, senator luger's work with students included a number of programs that gave support to minority students of various kinds there was a conference this weekend in which African-American, Latino, or Hispanic-American students uh, were recognized and were given opportunities in terms of college attendance. Um, this is, with all due respect, a, a relative rarity for his party in Current times, and I think his party could learn a great deal from Senator Lugar's approach.
1: R.J., I wanted to pick up on something you said a moment ago. You were talking about Dick's interest in nuclear dismantlement, and that's exactly right. I think in many ways that's his major legacy. His voice is very much needed today because our policy is reversed. Mm-hmm. During Dick's time, it was always trying to restrain, constrain nuclear weapons. He did that through arms control agreements. Fast forward to today, our policy is to build more nuclear weapons, and other countries are doing the same. Our policy is to reject national, international treaties. So we have reversed the policies that he worked for for a very long period of time. In a very disturbing way, from my point of view, uh, I think he was on the right track, and I don't think we're on the right track to try to increase these weapons. Uh,
2: Actually, that was uh, not the first time that he fought that battle. Uh, In a rare public defeat in uh, the 80s, when Charles Percy was defeated for re-election and uh, the chairmanship of the Foreign Relations Committee opened up. Uh, the senior senator, uh, Republican senator, was Jesse Helms. But he couldn't take over foreign relations because he had promised in a tough election campaign to stay on as agriculture chairman. That gave Senator Luger two years as chairmanship. But when uh, uh, the parties changed, he became ranking member. Uh, Jesse Helms came back to reassert his seniority, and in a, a stinging defeat, uh, the Republican caucus uh, put Helms over yeah. Luger and, and uh, he was chair of foreign relations. Following a similar line, that we we needed to watch our yeah. uh, step with alliances. Yeah. We didn't want too much of American taxpayer support for yeah. alliances. More focus on at home, and uh, it delayed Dick Luger's time as uh, chair of the committee.
0: Those things happened, didn't they, Lee?
4: Uh,
1: <laughs> well, right. There are a lot of what-ifs in our history, <laughs> and that's one of the big ones, isn't it? Yes.
0: All right, we have a phone call. We're going to go to, go to the phones, and Mike is on the line. Mike? Hi. Uh,
5: Michael, Mike Mike. I was in the seventies in Indianapolis when, uh, uh, Dick ran for, uh, mayor. He, uh, emphasized his entire campaign on deadbeat dads. At the time, I was a father going through, uh, issues and definitely was not uh, pleased with his approach. I give him credit for the, foreign issues that he's done for as many decades. However with Lee I do not discount his domestic issues and he is still a Republican on domestic issues that I don't agree with. Uh, like a comment
3: on that. All right. Thank you. Thank you Thank Mike. You. Uh,
0: <laughs> yeah not not everybody agrees with, with everything the Senator did. Margie?
3: I think with all due respect that Senator Luger's, later Senator Luger's campaign, was not totally focused on deadbeat dads. Mm -hmm. I think that that may have been an issue that may have affected the caller a great deal, and I'm sure we all have great sympathy for that. But uh, Senator Luger's contributions to Indianapolis and the surrounding area and to the United States as a whole – I think need to be viewed in a larger context.
0: We'll get to some of his time in Indianapolis during the second half of our program. We have some guests who are going to talk about that. And and his uh, overall record in Indianapolis was way well beyond um, what the caller just mentioned. We're, we uh, also talked earlier today with Mitch Daniels, who's the former governor of Indiana and the current president of Purdue. And he talked about um, Senator Luger's curiosity. Here's that clip.
4: He was so inquisitive always. Uh, and as bright as he was, knowledgeable as he was, uh, always the, uh, he was always carrying around. I remember a tote bag, and it would be stuffed with books and newspaper articles he'd torn out, or magazines that uh, where that might help him learn something new. Uh, we talk about lifelong learning these days. Um, he showed me that it, even Rhodes scholars need to uh, need to attempt uh, it. The okay. thing.
0: All right. Former former Governor Mitch Daniels. Lee?
1: Well, I think Mitch's comment is uh, right on target. Uh, I remember sitting with Dick several times on a difficult issue, and uh, his question was, uh, what are the facts? (laughs) That's the place to begin with the problem. If you can't get an understanding of what the facts are, uh, you can't get very far. It's the beginning point in building consensus. And uh, Dick, along with Mitch's comment, was always curious about getting the facts. So it got to the point where the staff would get amused by the number of times Dick and I would turn to him and say (laughs) – What are the facts? And I say not only amused, a little irritated as well. Uh, But uh, it's the right beginning
2: point, and it was that curiosity that uh, Mitch spoke to. How do you feel about uh, both parties today moving toward uh, a sentiment where there is suspicion of compromise or consensus as if it represents a watered-down approach?
1: Well, I think it's a very serious problem. I think that you cannot go forward on a solely Democratic platform or a solely Republican platform. If you're going to solve any problem in this country with any degree of permanency, you have to have bipartisan support. It's the only way we can go forward. Uh, If you put through a Democratic program, you may succeed for a period of uh, a short time, but not permanently, and likewise Republican. Working together is at the very heart of what is necessary, and that involves compromise for sure. You know, I hear speeches all the time from politicians about, I will not compromise kind of an applaud line mm. it's also a line that brings you stagnation and dysfunctionality you cannot go forward in our system without making concessions making compromises to reach an agreement because you have to build coalitions of support behind a solution for a. you have to build solution support for a remedy behind a solution uh, Margie Hershey, so this is a former Congressman Lee Hamilton. He and
0: Senator Dick Luger have long been considered two huge statesmen, members of Congress from the state of Indiana. Can you just talk a little bit about the history of, you know, while, while Lee's still here and we can embarrass him a little bit, having <laughs> having Congressman Hamilton and having Senator Luger be two Hoosiers, two people from Indiana?
3: This is such a blessing, isn't it? I, I hate to... I'd much rather hear representative Hamilton than than me um but I think that um these are these are giants um in public life and we are so fortunate as a state to have had them represent us and I think that one of the things that we ought to keep in mind in the coming days as we remember Senator Luger is that this is what politics really is politics is not um, corruption and under-the-table work and bickering and various other things. Public service is the highest calling to which I think anyone can aspire. And uh, we see so many examples of alternative types of public servants these days, and it's easy to be misled into thinking that this is normal. In politics. This is not normal. What we need to do is to look for the Hamiltons and the Lugers, just like um, Fred Rogers used to say, to look for the helpers in a disaster and understand that their example needs to be followed.
0: We're going to have to let uh, Congressman Hamilton go. But any last words, Lee, about uh, Senator Luger before you, you take off on Well, us today? to pick
1: up on Marjorie's comment, and I appreciate your gracious comments. Uh, Dick and I used to smile a lot at the reputation Indiana had and the way we contradicted that reputation. (laughs) And, uh, you know, Indiana is looked upon by some of our elitist friends in the East Coast and the West Coast as being insular, isolationist, as we were at one time in our history. But uh, Dick and I kind of contradicted that, and we became much more mainstream in our uh, international views. We had more than one time to chuckle about Indiana's reputation and uh, how we tried to refute it and change it.
0: All right. Well, thank you for being here with us today. We know you have a busy schedule. So you're listening to a special broadcast today, special coverage of the life and legacy of Indiana's long de- longest-serving senator, U- U.S. Senator Richard Luger, We heard from Representative Lee Hamilton during the first half of the program. Margie Hershey is here with us as well. She's retired after nearly four decades as an Indiana University political science professor. And we're going to be joined. We are being joined now on the phone by Teresa Lubbers. She's the current Indiana Higher Education Commissioner who was a member of Cinder Luger's staff when he was the mayor of Indianapolis. And she is a co-founder of the Luger Excellence in Public Service Series. Um, Teresa Lubbers, thanks for being with us
6: i 'm happy to be here. I am sad to be here at the same time because many of us thought this day would never come.
0: All right, I understand. So we have uh, some phone numbers I want to give you to our listeners 812-855-0811 in bloomington or one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight outside of the local calling area news at indiana dot org and you can tweet us at noon edition. So I wanted to ask you about your early your early days with with uh, Mayor Luger what, what were those days like?
6: Well, I have about a four-decade um, professional relationship and friendship with the senator and started, actually, I was about 19 years old and I got on a city bus and came downtown to apply for an internship during the time that I was a student at Indiana University. And for the next three summers, I worked as a part of the Department of Transportation when city governments uh, were really so active and the mayor was at that time mayor luger was at the center of so much municipal activity so it was a it was just a great learning ground for me and then after teaching high school for a while i came back and worked as his public information officer in the mayor's office for his final 2 years and had the opportunity to do among other things fielding all the questions about unigov at that point that were coming from places around um, the country who were exploring opportunities like that as well um, and from then on, uh, you know, Mitch Daniels and I opened up his campaign office in 1976 for that U.S. Senate race. I had my first campaign was actually working as a volunteer when he ran against Birch Bayh in 1974. And, uh, came back and worked. We, I, I sometimes chuckle that Mitch and I opened that office on January 1st of 1976 for an election that would be the that coming November, and we were criticized for campaigning too long. Think about the cycles of politics <laughs> today, and you realize how much things have changed. Um, but anyhow, we—I had a chance to work in that campaign, and then went to D.C. and was a part of that in first uh, Luger uh, staff in Washington, D.C. And then, as you mentioned, 1990, uh, we started the Luger Excellence in Public Service series, which has will celebrate its 30th anniversary next year. All of those things marked by incredible um, leadership and commitment on the part of the senator. Mm -hmm.
0: We have a phone call, so we're going to go to the phones, and uh, we have a caller named Tom. Tom, go ahead.
4: Hello. Hello, Tom. Uh, I'm I'm Tom Sugar. I'm former chief of staff to U.S. Senator Evan Bayh, and um, I simply want to know, I want to say that, uh, like so many today, I'm I'm saddened by our loss of another great statesman. I uh, <laughs> deeply enjoyed my uh, time and was greatly honored to serve as Evans' Chief of Staff in the Senate for 11 years, and I wanted to just to let the listeners know that uh, all of this uh, discussion about uh, Senator Luger's commitment to bipartisanship was a very, very real one. We had a tremendous working relationship with Senator Luger's office, and that as a tribute to both senators, Senator Bayh also took that same approach to public service. And just one example of uh, the, the lengths that Senator Luger would go to uh, in his commitment to bipartisanship, as is the tradition, the, the uh, political parties whose president is in power has a lot to say in the Senate about uh, the choices of federal judges, U.S. attorneys and the like. And some can take the approach where, you know, we have the votes, we have the power, Uh, we'll make the choices, and you have to simply go along. Uh, Senator Lugar never took that approach. He would um, do extensive uh, research on uh, the candidates that he had in mind for these positions. He would ask for personal time with Senator Bayh to sit down and and go through thick notebooks uh, as colleagues together with Senator Lugar making his case for why he thought Sicker person was the right choice for indiana and our country uh and um that was a unfortunately a very unique uh, level of commitment and senator by in turn did the same for him when uh parties changed power in the white house uh and and it then it wasn't a unique situation so I, i simply wanted your listeners to know that uh his commitment went to that degree uh and i i um so a lot of time in politics, I worked for a congressman, as well from Indiana, Jim Johnson, the fifth district, and I, I worry like so many listeners do about sort of the state of our politics today. I encourage voters to think more thoughtfully about their choices and to choose uh, statesmen and stateswomen uh, in the model of Senators Luger and By, as they uh, head to the election booths next year and and make critical choices and to to be more thoughtful and deliberative about those things. I'm delighted to hear my old friend, Senator, or rather R- Representative Hamilton on the phone today, and so glad to hear his strong voice still. And, again, this tradition in Indiana is a long one, uh, but it can only be sustained if voters uh, make the uh, choices to be, um, to be committed to that kind of outcome and to not uh, be prey to... Sloganeering and, and and social media and other misdirections that happen today. So thank, thank you, you so much for allowing me to share that uh, that point of view.
3: We
2: appreciate it. Thank you for that perspective, Professor
3: Hershey. I think it's fascinating that Senator Luger uh, has always been a conservative. He was a conservative from the beginning in the time of his his mayoral election. He remained a conservative through his service in the Senate and yet he began to be perceived as something of a moderate toward the end of his term and was uh, criticized by many people in his party for that stance. It's not that his stance changed. It's that his party changed. And I think that a definition of a moderate came to be within the Republican Party, someone who's willing to work with Democrats. Um, I think that's an, that's an odd definition, of moderate i think you know as representative hamilton said goodness knows uh, we don't get anywhere unless we're able to work together in some way but the, the senator luger's party moved just as president reagan used to say that his old democratic party moved away from him senator luger's republican party moved away from him and in fact rejected him in a primary when he ran for reelection the last time um, to a greater extent than the party on the other side of the aisle. And I think that's worth our keeping in mind. It's been slow, but it's been dramatic over a long period of time. Right.
0: That's, a, that's just a, a great point to make because it wasn't the Democratic Party that beat Senator Luger, It was his own party, and then they lost the Senate seat.
3: That's right. It was a Tea Party challenger to Senator Luger who in part said he had lost touch with the people of Indiana, which which also is a curious statement, but that he was no longer sufficiently conservative. Uh, he really was a strong conservative, but conservatism has been defined somewhat differently in recent years than it used to be.
2: How much would you say that's happening with the Democratic Party today moving to the left and as the republicans have moved to the right
3: i can tell you this not as a matter of opinion but as a matter of research um political scientists have have done pretty sophisticated statistical research over 70 or 75 years now using congressional voting roll call data public opinion data voting data and we do find that during the course of the last 20 years the republican class coming into the house of representatives and the senate the new republicans were each as a, a on average more conservative than the people they replaced during this time consistently every election, whereas the new Democrats coming in were just about the same or, if anything, in a few years a smidge more conservative than the Democrats they were replacing. You can also look at this question by examining the party's platforms over time. And um, it's worth keeping in mind, I took a look at this last night, that the Republican platforms in the 1950s stated their um, endorsement of expansion of right-to-work laws, expansion of Social Security, um, protection of labor union rights to organize, and a whole series of questions, for example, on immigration that we don't see in the Republican platform today, whereas if you look at the Democratic platform from 50 or 60 years ago, it's not so terribly different from the Democratic Party now. It's been asymmetric polarization. One party has moved and the other, despite a whole lot of commentary to the contrary, has not.
0: We have uh, Teresa Lovers joining us by phone from uh, Indianapolis, and and we're going to play a clip. and I'd like for your reaction to the clip, it's from, it's from Lou Gehrig, who worked for uh, Senator Luger for quite some time, and, and Teresa Lovers, I'd really like to have your reaction to it. So play that clip now, please.
5: The thing that we all found about him was not only was he brilliant, but he was caring, and you always wanted to do your best for Senator Luger. He never got mad at you, but you always just felt that you knew he was doing his best and you wanted him to be, uh, you wanted to do your best and so you could help him do his best. He always encouraged us. He said that Washington, D.C. wasn't a place that we were supposed to live forever. And he encouraged us to go back to Indiana and help the state there and, and become a good citizens of the state.
0: All right, Commissioner uh, Lubbers, you're, you're helping the state of Indiana from your position now. Could you react to what Lou Gehrig said?
6: Uh, I don't know anyone who ever worked for Dick Luger who didn't think that way, that we always knew he was smarter and better than us, but he always had us want to do more and be better than we were. And so I think that inspired so many of us. It certainly, you know, I had the privilege to serve in the state Senate for 17 years, and I told him then, you know, what I've told him many times since, that everything that I've ever done, I've always thought, you know, would he be proud of me? I had the chance to say that to him just a month ago when I was, there in Bloomington, and uh, he was there looking at the, the his the papers that they were showing, and I had that chance to say it to him again. Um, you know, there's nothing in my life, short of my faith and my family, that has ever had as much impact on me than the inspiration that he provided. Um, I would certainly never have been involved in public service. I met my husband. Um, you know, we started the Luger series he, he um, is just a gracious, lovely man who actually sometimes people lose sight of the fact was also a bold leader with big ideas. And it was so his style and the substance of his actions, I think, sometimes allowed him to move even farther on these ideas. He understood that it's by the virtue of the power of your ideas and your relationships that you can trend government the way that you want it to go. And he also understands that when you're in the legislative branch, you are, you know, you have to build, and I, I heard Representative Hamilton talking about this, you have to build support for your ideas. And uh, he never compromised his principles, but he always was willing to find common ground. I just left the event that we had with Governor Holcomb and Mayor Hogsett here in Indianapolis, and uh, Governor Holcomb, uh, among many other things, cited the fact that, you know, he, he did not change one iota. Uh, he he continued to be true to his principles. I guess in some ways he was an Edmund Burke conservative, which was about the role of government and personal responsibility and freedom that actually and motivated a lot of his philosophy about education and I think mean, about uh, politics and government and eventually really motivated all, you know, hundreds of us who actually got our start by working with him.
2: I was going to say that your tribute is one that any person in public life would uh, be touched by, but it really is something uh, anyone who's had a career uh, would be thrilled to to hear the kind of comments you gave to him a month ago. I wonder what he said to you when you were finished.
6: He just looked at me and said, I'm so proud of you, which is so typical of the way that he, he deflected from himself and looked me straight in the eye and, and made that comment just a couple other things that he's done recently and in, in the last decade I, when I took this job at the commission for higher ed and 10 years ago his office called the first couple months I was there and said the senator would like to come over and just meet with your staff and talk to you hmm. and so he came came over and talked and then I lost my father four years ago exactly the same age as Dick Luger and we were calling and it was late in the evening and I looked up and there, walked in Dick Luger to come to my father's calling, and I said, it just touched me so much. And I said, oh, I, I just can't believe you made the effort to be here. And he said, well, I couldn't be any place else. Um, and that's, I mean, that's what you see that is really the person. So many times, and I say this with some regret when I'm saying it, but so many times political leaders have what seems to be their public persona. And when you actually get to know them and those who have the chance to really work with them, you know, they're not those two things don't necessarily match up. And what Lou Gary was saying about you know you know, not getting mad at you while still holding you to the very highest levels of mm-hmm. performance is exactly the way he was. You just didn't want to disappoint him. And so you did everything that you could possibly do to live up to his standard.
0: Our phone numbers again, if you want to join us on the program, 812-855-0811 in Bloomington, one 285 9348 outside of the Bloomington area, news at org if you want to contact us online, and you can tweet us. At noon edition, we're talking about Senator Richard Luger today who died yesterday morning at the age of 87. Um, I want to ask you, Commissioner Lubbers, and also you, Margie, about – Margie Hershey, Professor Hershey – about the um, – about Senator Lugar's uh, bid to become president, which he – I mean there, there were times when he talked about running for president of the United States. He never really got much traction with that. It sounds as if – you know some of the things that I'm hearing is – the, you know senator luger was a guy who didn't he he would he was he was what what he was and he wasn't going to compromise and he I, he would compromise on policies but he wasn't going to compromise on ethics or who he was was that part of the reason maybe that he didn't go farther than, than i mean he well, went very far by the way but
6: yeah my <laughs> husband actually ran his presidential campaign uh-huh. and you may recall that the day that he announced uh, you know, the same place where we were just a few moments ago was the same day as the Oklahoma City bombing. And so he was competing with headlines from day one. Um, and you know, it's been said, and I think it's a fair thing to say that Dick Luger didn't speak in sound bites. Um he, uh, you know, I can remember during those first couple of years, they would send out the congressional record and you were supposed to edit the comments that he would make on the floor. And you'd be looking for a place where a comma might come in. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, because he, he dealt with the complexity of these issues. He was a problem solver. Um, and he saw he saw politics and government as a way to make life better for people. Um, and so, you know, I think when you think about all those things and you sort of put them together, you realize just what a gift he was in, in so many ways. Now, the presidential election, it was, you know, times were changing and it may have been the beginning of lots of changes in public service and uh, government. And he was sort of at the beginning of that. But, um, you know, retail politics, the way that he did it was always successful in Indiana. I mean, he, and he did it by looking people straight in the eye, you know, and investing time with people. That became less the way people were campaigning at the time that he was, you know, running in in, uh, in that campaign.
3: I think one thing that Representative Hamilton would say um, that, that goes along very well with what Commissioner Lovers is talking about is that in Representative Hamilton's first campaign in 1958 for the House, I believe his total spending was $30,000. Now we know that on average, a House campaign will cost about $3 million for most successful candidates. A Senate campaign, at minimum, would require you to raise about $10 million. Now, many people assume that this can be gotten from big givers. That is not the case. Um, Money given directly to a candidate is limited from both political action committees and individuals to relatively small sums. The big money comes in independent spending of money that is spent directly on ads by various groups, some of which do not have to identify their sources of money. But if you are going to get $10 $10 million over the course of six years, and individuals are allowed to give you no more than $2,800 apiece, and political action committees, 5000 Currently, the two parties' campaign committees on Capitol Hill tell their incumbents, you need to spend a minimum of three to four hours a day on the phone raising money, calling individuals and saying, I need this much from you. Um, that goes along in addition with the number of fundraisers they attend in the evening at which they're essentially doing the same thing. This is not something that I think Senator Luger or Representative Hamilton would have chosen to do had they been asked to do it. And I suspect that it may not have been their forte if they did decide to do it. Um, This is something we have to be seriously thinking about. Campaign finance is never much of a voting issue for most voters, but it makes a huge difference in affecting who will run for office these days. Each of us can ask ourselves, would I be willing to look for the job of U.S. Senator if I had to spend four hours every day calling people who probably wanted something in return to ask them to give money to my campaign, um, unless we find some way to deal with that, I'm afraid we're going to just get represented by the kinds of people who don't mind doing that.
0: Mm-hmm. We're going to go to the phones. We have a call from Mike. Mike, go ahead.
5: Yes, uh, I just wanted to uh, make a general comment. Uh, I met uh, Senator Luger on a flight from Washington to uh, Indianapolis one time. Um, he was sitting in the seat across from me. Uh, and very approachable, very easy to talk to. Um, that I think is what made Senator Luger different um, because he wasn't afraid to talk to the average joe
0: mm-hmm. well thanks for thanks for that. we appreciate it.
2: Commissioner, yeah. it, it, would it be fair to say that uh, the senator's successful career was a triumph of substance over style?
6: Well. Um, you know, he had his own style, uh, and I think it was a style that was appreciated for decades. But I do think that if you were going to err on one side or the other, the substance of the issue always framed um, his uh, his the way that he rolled out an idea. So he, you were you were never going to have him roll out an idea where someone in the audience or a lobbyist or somebody would know more about that idea than he would, <laughs> um, and that is. You know, that's incredibly uh, encouraging to young staffers when they work for him. And it's also, you know, a little intimidating because mm-hmm. you know that he knows what he's talking about. I think back at those early days, you know, when we were in our mid to late 20s, and I think one of the first bills I had to do something on hospital cost containment. And, and you know, I actually thought I knew something about hospital cost containment. I mean, I knew nothing. But you became, <laughs> you became clear that you were a proxy for your boss. And in my case, my boss. Knew so much about all the issues that you know it was you know it made our jobs so much easier. But you know, so I, I uh, you know, I, I personally liked his style. I mean, I, but I'm a policy person myself, and I understand that when you're you're talking to the public at large, you have to connect. He he did that actually very well. When he would come back, I mean, his, you know, he wouldn't tell jokes, but he would tell stories,
4: mm-hmm.
6: and they were stories that connected with people and. He and as the man just said, who called in. I mean, he 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 saw he saw people the same. I mean, he did not see class, he did not see race, he did not see gender. He just saw people. When we pre- presented him with the idea of the looter series and uh, this training program for women in 1990, you know, he looked. We I remember we had breakfast with him, and at that point, you know, there wasn't anything really like that out there. I mean, it's since been replicated in many states, but he just looked at us and said well, why wouldn't I support that? We need to have the full participation of everyone in politics and government. And that, I mean, was just some people would have had reservations. He had none because he wanted the best people to be involved, and he knew that a lot of those people were women who were not currently engaged. That's, so that, that's why I like his style, but I understand what you're saying.
0: <laughs> we have another caller who wants to tell a story about Senator Luger on a plane. Sarah?
6: Hi. <laughs> hey. I, I had a flight from Indianapolis to, I don't know, D.C. or New York. I It must have been D.C. And the, the travel agent told me, you know, across from you there will be somebody you will recognize. And I said, really, who? And they said, well, she said, you'll know. And, of course, I did. Uh, and he was sitting, Senator Luger was sitting with an with an aide or an assistant or somebody, and they spent the entire flight from Indianapolis to the East Coast going through newspapers and cutting out things that they were interested in that they wanted to keep they they spent the whole time doing research it didn't occur to me to approach them
2: Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) yeah that goes along with uh, our comments earlier about how curious he was from Mitch Daniels about how he would have clips, newspapers, and a tote bag full of books and newspaper articles that he carried around with him. It is research. All right. Thank you very much, Sarah. So we're sitting here about a couple hundred yards away from the Hamilton Lugar School of Global and International Studies. The dean of that school is Lee Feinstein, and we talked to him about uh, Senator Lugar as well.
2: I like to call him the the gentle giant of diplomacy. Um, He, as I was indicating before was uh, very ambitious and very determined, but that did not interfere with his commitment always to treat people with respect and dignity. And that paid a lot of dividends. Sometimes it slowed things down, but at the end of the day, it produced uh, results. Professor Hershey, that sort of reminds me of uh, some of the national press about Senator Luger in which they would often refer to him as the courtly senator from Indiana. And I, I had a feeling that courtly was not intended as a compliment.
3: <laughs> well, I, I would choose to hope that it was. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think there's anything the matter with treating other people with respect. And to think that that is considered old-fashioned is really um, a commentary on what it is that's happening now.
0: I think another part of what, uh, what the dean said, he talked about ambition, and, and some of his other comments, I heard the, uh, the other clips from him, were about how, you know, make no mistake, that Senator Luger was mm-hmm. ambitious. He was serious about running for, for president. We had some conversation about that earlier, but I guess it, it strikes me, and I, I would like you know, both of your comments about the fact that he, he might have had that ambition. But at the, at the end of the day, he was willing to put that aside just to do what was best
3: ambition is not a negative without ambition we just sit there and, and binge watch something all day you know um ambition is what drives people to to do things uh the question is is it ambition for me personally to be able to get as much as i can in a short time or is it ambition to be able to do what's right for the people i represent um with the former, you don't get very far, as we might have noticed recently. With the latter, you get good governance. Mm-hmm.
2: It was also ambitious think, oh. out of, out of uh, public view. Mm-hmm. A lot of that work with nuclear disarmament meant trips to snowy, remote places uh, in the former Soviet Union just to inspect or to witness the dismantling of a facility, and might only be five or ten people there. Uh, all bundled up, but was something he felt that strongly about. Mm-hmm. Commissioner?
6: I think, I was just going to say, I, I think he actually believed in God-given talents that you developed, and if you squandered them, that would be a disservice. So for him, you know, for him not to have used his brain, his commitment, his the things that he was taught as a child about publics about giving to others, he would have considered that to be a squandered life. And so... Uh, he he was very ambitious for those things that he believed in. And um, and I think the result was that he accomplished, as we will continue to learn more and more about as the, as the memorial tributes come out, is that it, it, people aren't aware of the breadth of his accomplishments. Um, and I think it was because he operated with a clear vision about what he thought needed to be done, and then he figured out a way... To have relationships that helped get that done but he never i mean his principles were strong his ideas were bold i mean go back all the way to you know what he had to do to, um, to get unigov passed in indianapolis uh to you know what he was doing at the luger center even up until the weeks before he died These were big ideas.
2: Both Hamilton and Feinstein mentioned yesterday that after Luger lost the Senate race, he got offers from all sorts of places, but decided to devote himself to continuing in public service and education. Mm -hmm. And the other
6: thing that's important to talk about that period is there was never an ounce of bitterness in him. I never saw him speak ill after that. I didn't see him lose his hopeful way of being. He just committed himself to a new chapter.
0: All right, we have one more phone call we can get to. Bill, you have about 30 seconds.
2: Oh, hi, guys. Uh, thank you for doing this. Uh, he was a wonderful man. Uh, I graduated in 63 in the class with Jim Morris and others, and uh, we uh, immediately, for for the time we could spare, went to Indianapolis to help Dick become uh, mayor and, and so on and do whatever we could. Jim stayed on, of course. Uh Anyway, uh, he was the one of the most forward-looking people I, I had ever known to that point and ever since. The Unigov thing, the, the rest of it. He was constantly on the leading edge of what, what should be happening and what was happening. And I agree with how how gentle his real personality was. He could be fierce if needed, but but he was a gentleman all the way through and through. It was an honor to have known him.
0: All right. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you very much, Bill. So we have just two minutes to go. Margie Hershey and Teresa Lowers, can you just wrap up in about 30 seconds each? Margie?
3: I think in these times it's all the more important not to just venerate somebody for the sake of venerating them, but to remember that there is real value and real importance in our personal lives of working internationally to solve problems of um, dealing with people in a straightforward means as opposed to riling them up for some purposes. And I think Republican, Democrat, Independent, Libertarian, whatever, we can all um, be very grateful that we were represented by him.
0: And Commissioner Lovers, the last word about your friend?
3: His biography
6: is well known and speaks for itself. It was my personal privilege and of my life to have been associated with him during all these years. And his, his impact will last forever.
0: All right. Thank, Thank you, you very much. We appreciate all of our guests being on this special edition of Noon Edition today. Lee Hamilton, former Ninth District Congressman from Indiana, Marjorie Hershey, former professor of political science at Indiana University, and Teresa Lubbers, the current Indiana Commissioner for Higher Education. For Perry Metz and today's producers, Sarah Whitmire and Patrick McGurr and engineer Mike Patchcash. I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Thank you.